how many couples come to me and I say, do you, do you go out on dates? Oh yeah, we go out to dinner once a week. That's not a date. You're going to eat. You're, you're sitting across from each other chewing. You can do that at home. Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 251 with Liz Dubay. Liz is a licensed sex therapist and relation therapist or relationship therapist. This episode, so much good things. It's a different kind of episode than we've done before, but I think that you'll like it. There's so many good nuggets. Here's some things that you could expect to hear from my talk with Liz. One, why you should or why you should look at yourself naked in the mirror. Two, how to reignite your sexual desire with your partner. And three, how to move past the shame you feel around sex. So this episode's fire. I can't wait for you to dig in and hear all the salacious details. But first, let me tell you a little bit behind the scenes. Now, I think it's so funny. Um, As many of you know, I work in law enforcement. And I have to say body parts all the time, right? I have to say penis, vagina, not embarrassing because I'm so used to having to say it because when you talk to people or interview people, you have to get the exact body part, right? Well, then coming in to interview sex therapist Liz, she was super cool, but um, I was still like a little bit like, oh, wait, am I going to ask the right question? I don't know. (laughs) So it was great. It was a good interview, but it's funny because it's like we're constantly pushing our boundaries, right? Even if you're comfortable in one setting and you have to say certain things, it doesn't mean that you're comfortable in the in another setting. And I should have said this earlier. If you have little ones, maybe this isn't the episode for them to listen to, or maybe it is. Maybe having the conversations doesn't make it so shameful. So I'll leave that up to you. With that, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm glad you're here. Today's guest is Liz Dubay. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Excited on, excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm excited too. I, I love talking about sex, so um, I, I'm glad to have the floor. <laughs> so before we go any further, I've got to ask you. Do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? Oh, fucking badass. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I've never heard somebody quite own it like that, so I love it. (laughs) Have you always felt like a badass? I have ups and downs. I have days where I feel inadequate and an imposter, and I have days that I feel like I'm a badass. So when I'm in my adult self, my adult part, then I think I'm a badass. I've been through a lot. I've accomplished a lot. And then there's times when I, when I have a failure and it takes me down and, and that negative voice kicks in and tells me, no, who do you think you are? But 
on on most good days. I feel pretty strong about that. And, and it's ebbed and flowed through my life, probably more of my later adult life. So what do you do when this negative voice comes in and says, who do you think you are? Do you have anything that you do to combat that? Well, you know, I'm a therapist, so I have lots <laughs> of tips and tools and resources. Um, when I use those tools, it might be journaling to list out all those distorted thoughts that I'm having. And then, you know, I have this, this thing that I go, I write all the shit on the left side of the page. And then I write the reframes on the right side. What would I say to a friend if she were talking to herself like that? What, how would I respond? And that can be helpful. But sometimes that voice is just so loud that writing it out doesn't work. And that's when I call my other badass girlfriends and say, I'm in a moment. Can we talk? It might involve exercise. It could involve music. Music really is so healing. And to be able to get into a song where you're like, this is a song that gets me out of my head. I think those are, are, are the resources that I probably use most often. And it, if it lasts for too long, that's when it's time for me to have a therapy session and, and get some, get some solid support. Yeah. Yeah. So two things that I really love there. One that you're a therapist, but you're still willing to go to therapy yourself and get help when you need it. And then the other thing that I loved was the shit list, <laughs> like write the stuff that shit on the left side or the, the shitty things you're saying to yourself and then the reframe on the right. So I love that. So I want to dig into this so much more, but first, Liz, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a licensed sex and marriage therapist. I, which is funny, we call it a marriage therapist. We should change that name to a relationship therapist because I work with people and all things are relationship, right? So, but my title is a licensed marriage family therapist and I'm a certified sex therapist. I have a private practice where I see people in Long Beach, California. And I also have an online coaching program where I give women guidance on how to reignite desire or how to feel more sexually empowered. And then I coach uh, men, women, couples on ways to be able to bring their sex lives to the next level. But the majority of my work is really going into the darkness of how sex uh, has affected people in problematic ways and helping them overcome into the light and, and create lives that are feel more satisfying and um, empowering. So going into the darkness, a lot of people have darkness around their sexuality or maybe even a lot of women, um, something that we struggle with. What is something a woman could do to kind of face that darkness or start to heal um, so she can have a healthier sex life? I think you got to bring it into the light. You need to start talking about it. I think so much of what comes into my office is really just like covered in shame is people have shame surrounding their sexual likes, their sexual dislikes, their sexual fantasies, their sexual questions, the lack of information they have about sex and, and um, sexual traumas. And so there's so much shame surrounding that and then we keep it inside. And if you do that, it just gets bigger and it can be consuming and that's not sexy. <laughs> so being able to bring it out into the light 
friends that you trust that you can talk to. Friends aren't always the best because friends can increase that shame. They can intensify it by their reactions to it. Being able to talk to a therapist, I think, is key. Uh, reading. There's so many amazing books out there. I think for me, that was my savior is I was, I've been a, like a lifelong learner and I, I love educating myself. And I think that part of what drew me to psychology was all those self-help books I read. And I go, oh my God, this is, so this is how I think differently. There's actually tools on how to be able to address this, that to be able to learn different ways to frame your thoughts and uh, when it comes to sex, so much of us are learning from porn and Hollywood and just comments that we hear in social circles. And that's really not accurate information. It's, it's totally wrong information. And if we can get book, read books to learn what is accurate, then I think that right there can be able to help a lot. And then within different issues that we might have, then I'm going to give you a different answer right. to that question. But if we're, you know, if we're speaking really broadly, then that would probably be my response. What is one book that you recommend to your clients? Mm. Well, for women, the book, the book <laughs> that I love, get your pens ready, ladies. <laughs> And this is, you know, it's, this is particularly for women who are struggling with desire or struggling to feel normal in their bodies. And it's called come, what is it? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I lost it. Um, come as you are. Remember that Nirvana song? That's what's going to pop up when you, when you Google it. Come as you are. It's a book written by Emily Nagowski and I, I, I recommend that probably every week to clients. It's an amazing book that talks about our sexuality, how we've come to be as sexual beings, the influence of society, media, religion, family, biology, and how so much of that fucks us up <laughs> and uh, takes us in wrong directions in terms of, of, of our sexuality and gives us permission to uh, be in our skin in the way that we are and gives us the accurate information to start exploring our sexuality. I love, love, love that book. It, it is directed at women, but for men can hugely benefit from that book as well to learn about women, but also our sexuality is similar to men. And so men can actually learn a lot about themselves from reading that book as well. Love, love, love that book. For men, I mean, I guess, um, a great educational book, which is so old and I can't believe I still recommend it, but there hasn't been a good enough replacement and it's called The New Male Sexuality. And I can't remember the author's last name, but it starts with a Z. It's like Zebelman or a, I don't know. Um, and uh, that book is pretty thick. Both of those books are pretty thick. The, uh, the Come As You Are, you can get an audio. The other one, it's, I, I don't think you can get an audio. It's too old. But both will give you everything you need to learn about second sexuality. Oh, one more, one more. The Guide to Getting It On. That it's it's a huge book. You will never just sit down and read it. But anything sex, that is your sex education book. 
for both genders. So there, done. Okay, I don't need to say <laughs> anything anymore. Okay, have a nice day. Drop the <laughs> mic. <laughs> so I think that it's cool that, to have book recommendations and different resources for people because sometimes people aren't at the step where they're comfortable going to a therapist because like you said, there's all this shame surrounded by it. And so people feel embarrassed or like they're going to be judged just for going to a sex therapist. And so maybe their journey starts with a book. And then like, once they feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it or being a little bit more open about it, then the next step could be a therapist. Um, One thing I want to ask you about is the shame you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. How do we start to uncover the shame and to make it not so, not so shameful, not so hidden? Yeah, I mean, I think that's bringing it out into the light, sharing it with people that you trust. If you have a bad reaction from somebody that you trust, it's just because they're lacking information. They're coming from that same place that you are. And reading books on your trauma or what it is that you have shame about. Google's not the best because, you know, people go to Reddit and they get, you know, they get the response from all these other uneducated people about stuff. And that can feel really shitty. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, journaling and, and being able to, to use that as a place to kind of just throw up and get it out of your body. And, uh, and listening to podcasts, because not everybody wants to read. Not everybody has the time, energy to read. And that can feel really daunting. So being able to listen to podcasts, get little bits of information, uh, go to TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I love doing TikToks that are educational. And, you know, you listen for a minute and there you go. you got like a good nugget of information. Not everybody there is going to give you completely accurate information, give and take, but create an algorithm of self-help basically, you know, and, um, and, and I think that can be really healing to hear other people talk about things that are similar to what you're struggling with. Cause it's on there. Everything, everything that you're experiencing, somebody else experienced. It, it amazes me when clients, it doesn't amaze me. Actually, I'm not surprised. Oftentimes clients call me and they say, well, have you ever treated a client with this problem? Yeah, probably. Or maybe it doesn't look exactly like what you what you are experiencing, but I've treated people who had the same narrative and the same feelings that you're having. It may have just been a slightly tweaked different situation. And I think that we forget that sex health is a thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. paying attention to our sexuality or that's part of being healthy or a well-rounded life. Like we might think of, oh yeah, I have to be healthy with my nutrition or with different areas of my life or self-care, you know, but we forget that sex health is actually a part of that. So what do you tell your clients as far as how they can have a healthy sex life or start to have a healthy sex life? Well, first I give them permission to do so. And I give them permission to have all of the feelings that they're having surrounding their sexuality, their questions, and then I give them accurate information and let them know that I, it makes so much sense that you're thinking and feeling that way. And let me tell you the accurate information. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I might give them resources. I might give them activities. Um, I'm, I'll be exploring the roots of where did these ideas come from? Where did you get this? The, this idea of, I don't like my body. Why don't you like your body? Oh, because Hollywood told you that you're too big. You're too small. It, that's Hollywood. That's that we're all human beings. Let's take those, all those filters off and look at that. We're, we're all struggling with the same stuff. We all put our pants on the same way. And if you can shift out of having these expectations that Hollywood and porn have created, they've, they've got, they've got fluffers in Hollywood. They've got, they're, they're positioning people here and there that, that that's not the reality. And if and a lot of people come in like, I, I don't know. And so I'll, I'll do a lot of education about what is accurate. So, so it's really like giving permission, giving accurate information, educating and um, normalizing and then putting people out into the world and encouraging them to risk, assuming that I, we've done the, the work that, that, that they're ready to risk. So a lot of people, you can go on Google and say, okay, I learned this activity to shift into feeling more sexually empowered. Like, okay, go, you know, I could tell them, um, go take a pole dancing class. That'll make you feel like embodied. But if you just cringe at the idea that you're not ready for that suggestion yet. I've got to explore with you. What, why don't you think that you fit into a pole dancing class? I'm not sexy. I'm too big. I'm awkward. Those are all the, the those are all the people that are in those classes. Mm -hmm. You fit into those classes, but I can't just, you know, I can't just say, stop thinking that and then <laughs> go to the class. That's what's different about therapy. You know, when I'm coaching, I can just give people suggestions if you're ready for it and you just need the guidance. But when it comes to therapy, it's looking at, well, where did you get this message? Let's look at that. Does that align with your values? If you had a friend that was thinking that about themselves and felt so disempowered, would you be telling them the same things that you're telling yourself internally? Let's explore that. Let's unpack it and see what we can do in little baby steps to start creating a new narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that so often, like as kids, we grow up and we take these messages and we don't ever reevaluate them as adults. It's something we learned as a kid or believed as a kid. And then it's like, we just keep the same belief. And so sometimes I would like it takes a therapist to help uncover the things that we thought were true that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. Cause in therapy, we ask the next question, you know, with friends, they, you know, they, they might be curious and ask a question, but you're not trained to ask the next question. You know, it's like, Oh, well you shouldn't think that way. And, and Oh my gosh, like, here's what you should think instead, but it's not saying, Okay, where did you get that idea? Oh, I don't know. Okay, we'll get curious. Have you ever been curious as to where you got that idea? But I don't think that, you know, most people aren't trained to be able to keep poking right. in a way that's compassionate and curious. Yeah. And even like you said, you shouldn't think that way. Like somebody's not trying to say that in a bad way, but like that doesn't ever feel good to receive when somebody says you shouldn't think that way. It's like, well, yeah. it's how I think. Yeah. Now I feel shitty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then, also, what popped up when you're um, talking for me, when 
so my first time running a marathon, I was terrified. And I had this vision of getting like just starting running and then getting trampled, <laughs> like a stampede, <laughs> just getting trampled. Yeah. And it was terrifying. And it was nothing like that when I first did it. So sometimes it's like we build these things up as if they're so big or so huge and they're really not a big deal, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, again, this might be a therapist or a friend or somebody to help you get out of your own way or somebody mm-hmm. who's done it before mm-hmm. to be like, oh, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Yeah. Or asking the next question. So if that were to happen, if you were to get trampled, then what would, what would happen? Like you would get trampled and then people just keep trampling on you. And so, so really looking at the distortion in that thought. And if you were to get trampled, could you possibly get up? How would you take care of yourself? Would, Would, you know, so, so looking at the reality in that, you know, the worst case scenario is you got trampled to me. The worst case scenario is that I would shit myself because (laughs) Because that's, I mean, that's what my roommates in college would talk about because they were runners. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, that but- is a reality for some. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier you mentioned, how, you talked to people about how to reignite their sexual desire. Can you talk about that and how somebody would go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, part of it is education it starts with getting you in that space of realizing that it, that desire is not this magical thing. Desire is in your head. And so if you're thinking sexy thoughts, if you're fantasizing, if you're imagining the encounter with the person that you are interested in, if you're reflecting upon your past positive sexual experiences, hmm, what's going to happen? You're going to have some desire. You're going to notice some arousal, some horniness, some looking forward to sex. But in long-term relationships, desire starts to wane, right? Like it starts to go away and, and we wonder where did it go? Well, we stopped thinking about our partners in those sexy, erotic ways. We may have had uh, more boring sexual experiences of recent than the really exciting ones. We no longer have maybe the dopamine and the, the, the endorphins that kick in, in the new relationship stuff and being able to look at that and say, yeah, all of us have that in long-term relationships. And so how can we use our brains to start igniting desire for us? And that would be getting curious about reminding ourselves what turns me on, what makes me feel embodied, what makes me attracted to my partner, what makes me attracted to myself and working on increasing your thoughts and behaviors to align with that. And then looking at what do I do all day to stifle my desire? What am I doing to squash it, to put that fire out? Am I working too hard? Am I not, do do I not allow myself to act flirtatious? Am I dressing in ways that I feel kind of frumpy and unattractive? Am I, am I not taking care of myself? Do, if you see yourself as a sexy, erotic person, how would you be behaving? So if you are um, if you identify with that, so it's like, it's shifting into, if you, if you're so identified with being a mom or with being a a corporate badass, 
a lot of times in society, sexy doesn't jive with that. It conflicts with that. And so for women, it's, it, it takes a shift for us to say, okay, how do I integrate that? Can I be a sexy corporate badass? Can I be a sexy mom? I am. I have been. But it's taken a consciousness. There have been times in my life where, yeah, I, I wore sweats every day. I wore my yoga pants every day because I was picking up toddlers and I was you know, that, that was the bulk of my, I was getting dirty. Why would I wear something? Why would I look, wear something cute when I'm just going to get it messy and ruin it because a kid's like barfing on me or I'm having to like play with them in the playground. Right. Or, you know, in corporate, when I was in corporate, you know, people would tell me, Liz, you know, you don't have a filter. <laughs> Hence why I'm a sex therapist now, because <laughs> that was not the career for me. But it's, you know, women who are sexy, what is, what kind of message are we getting is like, is like, oh, you're, you're, that's inappropriate that, that, you know, this isn't appropriate for the, the workplace. And so it's hard to find that fine line of, of feeling sexy, but not um, getting the shame put upon you for being too much. And, uh, and so sometimes that involves like, of having to make a conscious shift in our personal lives to say, okay, I've been with the kids all day. Now I'm going to shift and I'm going to go do some self-care before my partner comes home. And we're going to carve out opportunities for sexy time. And sexy time doesn't have to involve intercourse. Sexy time can be, I want to act like I am like a, a, an erotic being, that I'm a sexual being. And so you shift into that, but it, it requires energy. And, and that can be hard for people who are really expending all their energy on work, family, friends, responsibilities. So, but I think that we deserve to put that energy in. I think a lot of people, they'll put energy into their bodies to look good, but are you putting energy in your body to feel good? Yeah, I think that's an important distinction, you know, to look good and to feel good. So what do you do? What energies do you put into your body to feel good? Or is that just unique to everybody? I think, I think it's unique to everybody. I have, I have some friends that are like, I don't do exercise. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't happen for me. And, and so for them to feel good uh, physically might be, I don't know, going dancing or something and it doesn't feel like exercise. Yeah. And, um, and so for, for a lot of people, I really like people to exercise. I think that it reminds you of like what's going on in your body. I think a nice, long, luxurious bath, I think slowing down to, you know, when you're putting lotion or oil on your body to, to moisturize your body, slowing down and doing it in an appreciative, loving, sensual way, then you connect and being gentle with yourself when you see yourself naked when you see yourself in a mirror naked or clothed what are you saying to yourself are you saying oh boy i love this this part of my body i really try to i i try to give myself positive affirmations every day about my body there are definitely parts of my body i don't like i fucking hate aging you know, it's like gravity. I hate you. Gravity. I look so much better laying flat, you know, but that is not serving me. And 
my sexy is internal. It is not the external. It is not my skin. It is not my cellulite. It is not my fat. It is not my muscle. And so, so it's, it's the self-talk. It's the, it's the, it's the words that we put into our, our body, our mind tapping into our body. It's the um, allowing touch and giving touch, going out, dancing, moving your body. Yeah. I think those would probably be the, the key things that, that come to mind at the top of my head right now. So I can imagine that there's a lot of women listening to this that like cringe at the thought of having to look at themselves naked in the mirror or having to like even say one nice thing about their body because we can be so hard on ourselves and the things that we say to ourselves. What is like the first step somebody could take? Or is it just a matter of just pretending and then it will happen? Or what would you say to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I could say both. I'd say first off, you're not a badass if you're doing that to yourself. Okay. So if you want to be a badass, <laughs> then you need to find one part of your body that you appreciate and, and tell it every day. If you are walking, thank your legs. Cause there's not everybody can walk. If you are physical enough to actually go to the gym to, to do strenuous exercise, thank your body. Cause it's not going to be doing that forever. So focus on find something. I've had clients that the only thing that they liked about their body was their hands and their feet. Okay. Well then you know what you need to do. You need to make sure, and you need to pamper your hands and your feet. You need to make sure, and you need to get your mani pedis on a regular basis, have fun with it and buy the best shoe, open-toed shoes <laughs> that, that you get to, to show your toes. And you, that's what you focus on as you are working on uh, more self-love and yeah, the fake it is like, yeah, fake it. Like, like there, there are times when I look at my body and there's things that I'll, that I'll think like, I, I remind myself that, that the way that I might be critical of my body is a social construction. Mm that because my tits don't look like the tits I might see on a screen, that doesn't make them any less sexy. That because my tits are older than they, you know, don't look the way they did when I was 20, you know, that doesn't make them any less sexy. What makes it less sexy is me thinking that. And so sometimes it's, it's, it's me faking it and being like, yeah, and, and yeah, so, so fake it till you make it and work your way from those extremities, from the hands and the feet all the way, you know, can you appreciate half of your calf? Can you appreciate your forearms? <laughs> what, whatever you focus on gets bigger. I love that. Oh, to beers. You heard it from Liz. Like just pick one part of your body that you love and focus on that and appreciate it every day. And then it'll grow out from there. So, and if you have a penis, boy, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> so oftentimes it seems like in relationships and marriages, one party is like, or maybe this happens over time. One party is more interested in sex than the other. And so they have the desire. 
is there a way that they can spark the desire for the other person? Sure. I mean, it's not completely your job. You being able to get curious with your partner about what do I do that turns you on? What ways do I initiate that you like? What are things that I do that turn you off? What are things that ways that I initiate that turn you off? So, so get a clear idea of what is the recipe. Okay. I've heard a lot of clients say, you know, the stars and the moon have to align for my partner to want to have sex. That's not cool. That it, it, that it's okay to have a discrepancy and desire in a relationship, but we both need to be working on that. And so if you're the low desire partner, you do need to be saying, okay, how can I want, I want to want, how can I start making efforts towards this? And if you don't know where to start, then you go to the book that I recommended, or you sign up for my workshop and four weeks, you know, a couple hours a week, and that will give you the guidance that you need to be able to get there. Your partner needs to make you feel desired though you know, or, or, or do things that make you feel desired that I think that as a, as the higher desire partner, complimenting your partner, letting them know that, Oh, I really loved that last sexual encounter. That was so hot. I loved the way you did this. And I loved the way you did that and fueling that energy between your, your sexual sessions. And, um, but not saying things like, you know, I want it or like, when are we going to have sex? <laughs> you know, it's been so long, you know, complaining, you know, that, that nobody wants to fuck a whining toddler. <laughs> so don't be a whiner. Um, it's reasonable to expect that your partner go into that erotic space with you, especially if you're in a, mo a monogamous relationship. I think that that's a perfectly reasonable expectation. But phrasing it in ways like that are just really not attractive. And, and who would want to have sex with someone who's pouting? <laughs> so don't pout. Show up as an adult. Get curious. Be compassionate. Ask questions. Let your partner know what you, what you find attractive about them and that you're wanting them, not just that, you want it, that you're wanting someone to masturbate you. So... I think those would be some things. Oh, and also, I mean, are you, it, does the relationship feel equal or does it feel like your partner's always doing things for you? Your partner's always, you know, taking care of you, handling all the responsibilities of the house. I mean, this is part of the desire discrepancy with heterosexual relationships is women are the CEOs of the home. And then if they have a job on top of that, are you fucking kidding me? And then, and, and now you want me to have sex with you? Like, I, I, help me understand the attraction that if, if you're feeling horny, great, that's great. But am I really desiring a partner who I'm taking care of and that I'm in a mother role? So show up as an adult, have some empathy for how your partner is being cared for and nurtured and cherished in the relationship. Are you doing those things? do those things because you know a lot of this happens outside the bedroom there's no there's there's no line between these and, and so so there can be a, you know lots of best friends that have great relationships stop stop having sex because they just kind of get like 
they they lose that like that consciousness of being erotic or but but more commonly it's just there's uh disconnects that we've stopped dating we've stopped romancing how many couples come to me and I say, do you, do you go out on dates? Oh yeah, we go out to dinner once a week. That's not a date. You're going to eat. You're, you're sitting across from each other chewing. <laughs> you can do that at home. It's not a date. A date is us going and experiencing something new or experiencing something that we have in common. And then we have something to talk about and to connect on. And there, you know, having that novelty, being able to be in the energy of like dressing up or like getting out of our, the context of our home, that's a date. So those would be some of the basic foundational things to, to help create desire in the relationship if you're the higher desire partner. So how do women sabotage their sex lives? Oh, so many ways. Mm-hmm. We are sacrificers. We've been socialized for sacrifice. Men have been more socialized for pleasure. And, and so we sacrifice. We, we um, put all our energy into work, family, friends, like I said earlier. We don't prioritize self-care, prioritize sex. We're quick to say no to sex if we don't have desire. We, we don't recognize that I think a lot of women don't realize, a lot of men don't realize that, that women mostly have responsive desire, meaning that our desire kicks in once we start tapping into our body. So maybe once you start kissing and, and, and having some sensual massage, then you go, ooh, oh, okay, now I'm noticing some desire. But you might be just sitting around watching a show and your partner says you want to have sex. You're like, no, well, not really. Well, the, I, would, I would prefer the answer to be, Hmm, I don't know. Like, let's see what happens. Let's start kissing. Let's start massaging. Let's see what happens. So be open. And hopefully you're with a partner who you can say, okay, things aren't kicking in. So like, we're going to leave it at the massage. And then you make your efforts to, to start doing things to fuel your desire. Like I had mentioned earlier, but I think that's, those are the common things is that, that we don't prioritize things. We don't prioritize sex. We say no too quickly. Uh, we'll say yes to quickies too often. Quickies aren't very satisfying, particularly for women, because you know, it takes us like 20 minutes to get to that level of arousal where sex feels m- mutually satisfying. And so if you're, go- if you're doing a quickie, then you're like, yeah, that wasn't so good. And then that's the only thing that you're remembering. That's sex. Well, then of course you're not desiring that. Why would you crave something that isn't mutually satisfying? And it ends up becoming something that you do just do for your partner. And if it's like something that you just do for your partner, of course, you're not going to desire it. And um, I think those would be the key, key things, you know, on top of the, the things I mentioned before. So this might be a sticky subject, but like, do you think no saying no to sex is hurting relationships. And of course, I'm not talking about like rape or any situations yeah. for unwanted sexual advances, but just if you're in a healthy, loving, long-term relationship or relationship where sex is okay, do you think saying no is hurting the relationship? I think always saying no. I think you're, if your first response is no, that's hurting the relationship. I want to encourage people to say, well, why is it a no? 
Is it a no because you're you're waiting for spontaneous desire? Well, I've already told you that's bullshit. <laughs> There's no such thing as spontaneous desire. And, you know, I think I did it like a TikTok on that, or you can subscribe to my newsletter or something and, and you can get more on like why I talk about that. But um, if your first reaction is no, which I think always we should be like, hmm, let me think about it, or maybe. And I think, so, you know, maybe some, some feminists or some women might be like, what? That's, that's not okay. Well, if you're in a relationship with a jackass, well, if, I'd be saying no too, honey. <laughs> I'd be saying no too. But that's where it's, why are you in a relationship with that person? What's happening that you're not communicating about what's not working in the relationship? What's happening that you're not communicating to your partner about what you need to be different for you to say yes, that, that by you just saying no, and there's no conversation about it, that there's nothing that, that's being worked on, then that's a problem. So you being able to say maybe, say, saying, well, I don't know if I wanna have intercourse, but let's make out and see what happens. I don't know if I wanna have intercourse, but maybe let's, let's do some oral on each other. Let's, let's, let's practice mutual masturbation, let's see where that goes. And a lot of times for women, our desire kicks in once we start doing that. And we go, oh, well, actually I am in the mood because we've shifted out of whatever else was in our head. But of course we get to say no, of course. And if you're, if you're, ti if you're too tired, if you're sick, if you're, you're feeling totally disconnected with your partner, yeah. And then the thing would be, okay, Okay, how do you get connected with your partner so you can say yes next time? It would be how do you need to take care of yourself with your you know when you're sick and great. And if if you're feeling tired, what are you doing that sex has become the last thing at the end of the list that of course you're tired. Most people wait for sex until the end of the day. You put all your energy into everybody and everything else and then nothing's left for you and your partner. So take a look at what is the at the root of your no? What are the benefits of sex? Of course, pleasure, but are there any other benefits of sex? I think that if you're in a heterosexual relationship, men, it tends to be the way they communicate. Unfortunately, you know, most men have not, they, they have been socialized more with through touch, that that's the way that they connect rather than through the, the verbal. And so that can be a, a, a huge way for them to feel connected with you. And you know what? It's so much easier to tolerate the irritating things about your partner when you're having a good sex life, right? <laughs> and we live in a sexual society. If you're not having sex, there's kind of is a mind fuck. It feels like, is there something wrong with me? Like I'm not fitting in. And, and so there's the, there's sex, I think gives a calming to that. Um, and if you don't have that, then great. I mean, if it's not a problem, then if, if, if you're, if you have very limited sex and you don't have a problem with it and your partner doesn't have a problem with it, good, great. It's all good. <laughs> like, like that, that is one thing in sex therapy. We don't make problems out of things that you don't think are a problem. 
The only reason we see it as a problem is if you have a conflict with it, if you're struggling with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, sex has, it's a stress reliever. It helps us relax. It helps us feel connected with our partners. Um, it's an, it's another way to communicate with your partner and, um, Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good, that's a good list. It's a good list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I know we're winding down here, but I do want to pivot and ask you um, about some of the hardships that you've been through. I know we see this social media world and think everything's gumdrops and lollipops. And for Liz, everything was absolutely easy or, you know, just different people we see on social media. Yeah. So, I wanted to ask you, what are the hardships that you faced to get to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, I have, a, you know, I think this is more of people know what this is now, but I have complex trauma. I've been through a lot, a lot of trauma. I grew up in a really chaotic household. I am a survivor of sexual trauma. I'm a survivor of a traumatic relationship when I was younger. I uh, one of the hardships that this is a really hard thing to do was <clears throat> I am a divorced marriage therapist. <laughs> I was like, this is horrifying, you know, to, to be a marriage therapist. And I am now divorced. So that was tough to, to try to work through, you know, I think we, I think we went through, I think we saw like three marriage counselors and you know, it just, it, it dissolved things happen. I've had my highs and lows with my desire. I've had clients seeing me for their struggles with, with sexual desire, looking at me and like, oh, you can't, you could never relate to low desire. And I was in a, you know, and I was, no, I'm right there with you, honey. But, you know, with therapists, we try not to share our own personal stories so much because it's about you. You've got the stage as you know, you have the floor as the client. And so it, it, it isn't always helpful or beneficial for us to share our hardships in those sessions. But I mean, I, I've been around the block. I, I have definitely overcome adversity. And that's why I think I'm a badass. I don't think I'm a badass just because I'm a sex therapist. I think I'm a badass because I have been through the trenches and I have worked my ass off to, to heal and to get to a place of empowerment and is every day rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. Hell no. I, I wake up in the morning on days, just like everybody else, where I go, I am an imposter. I, um, I'm not doing good enough. I'm, I, you know, um, I, 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 um, I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not successful enough. And those are luckily, those are old narratives that used to consume me before I got a lot of therapy and surrounded myself with a lot of amazing friends who are positive and encouraging and uh, healthy and before I did a lot of those self-help books, man, like you look at the books on my shelves. Yes, I've read those books. <laughs> I've read those books. 
and I'm living those books. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, lots of stories, man. Lot, lots of stuff. And, and I don't like to share a lot of specifics about my struggles because I have kids and I'm a therapist and I like to keep those things private, but on a one-on-one, I share those things and I'm very open because that has, like I said, that has been a big part of my healing is, is putting out into the light, the shame. Cause for many, many years, I was totally secretive about my sexual trauma. I didn't want people to know that I go to cocktail parties and people say, why did you become a sex therapist? They want to hear the fun stuff. (laughs) They don't want to hear I'm a survivor of sexual trauma. They go, Oh, wow. That's like party blow. I don't want to, (laughs) that's no fun. You know? So a lot of people don't want to hear the real story, but it's there. Most therapists have trauma. That's why we became therapists and, and good therapists have often had that trauma because they know what it takes to be able to overcome and become healthy. And it takes work and it takes going through it. You can't go over it. Can't go under it. You got to go through it. Yeah. And I think we often have this image, like we, like you have this trauma from childhood or you get a divorce and you're a marriage therapist. And we always think when it's ourselves going through it, like, oh, I'm this going to make me like Frankenstein. Like I have all these scars. I look horrible. Like everybody's going to judge me. And then in reality, a lot of times people like that better because they can relate to you more because you've been through things they've been through. Like you're human with human experiences and being vulnerable. That's the quickest way to build connection. Yeah. And, and, and then maybe it can give you faith because if it feels like anyone who's been struggling like you can't become empowered, can't, can't succeed. You need to be able to see people who have overcome to go, Oh shit, she did it. If she did it, I can do it. Yes. So powerful. So let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. Be gentle with yourself. That's what my, the best therapist I ever had. And she retired and I broke down and cried when she said I'm retiring. But be gentle with yourself. It is a process that that things don't happen overnight. It takes time to unlearn all the problematic things that from your childhood or from, from different interactions that's happened in your youth to be able to create a new story. And, and so, you know, people think that, you know, they start therapy when they're 25, 30 and, and they want to go to, you know, six sessions and be healed. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you have 25 years of really negative thinking of behavior patterns that do not serve you. That's a lot of unlearning to do. So be gentle with yourself. When you fall off the wagon, get back on it. Um, talk to other people who have struggled. Realize that I, 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 I'm still in therapy. I luckily am surrounded by therapists, so I get to call them for free therapy a lot of times. But it is not, uh, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's a marathon. It's, it's, not, it's not a sprint. That, that these are really long old messages that we have that they don't go away also. They may just be a whisper. So that tip was a paragraph 
I love Thank it. you very much, everyone. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> and Liz, how can we connect with you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, Talk Sex with Liz. You can find me on TikTok, Talk Sex with Liz. And in addition to the therapy, I just want to remind people about my four-week online workshop. It's for women who are wanting to become sexually empowered or wanting to reignite some desire that they've lost at some point in time. And it's four weeks with me in a group environment, but it's anonymous. So we will be on Zoom, but there will be no video screens and we will create sexy diva names that we will use through those four weeks. And I will give you everything you need to be able to explore what is stopping you and what can start propelling you forward to be the sexual being that you desire and to have the sex life that you desire. And you can find that on my website, Talk Sex with Liz. And, um, but I've got tons of free resources. If you go, if you go to that website, you can sign up for my newsletter and get that on a, usually on a weekly basis where I talk about, you know, some fun tips that, that you can just read and, and utilize in your daily life. Okay. Awesome. I will add those links to my show notes. Um, thank you so much, Liz. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thanks for having me. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. So what did you think of that episode? It was a different kind of episode than we've ever done before on the Ordinary to Badass podcast. But you know what? We often talk about health, about things that are healthy for us to be doing, right? And sex is healthy. So I want to know how you like that talk. But... So you can hit me up on the gram at Ordinary to Badass. Tell me what you thought of this episode. I thought that it was amazing. And I want to give you a rundown of five takeaways from the episode. One, when you feel shame around sex, bring it to light. Share it with people that you trust. Read a book or find a therapist. You can even listen to a podcast. All right, number two, examine your beliefs about sex. Ask yourself, where did this come from? Where did you get this? It's about curiosity. Number three, we are all struggling with the same stuff. We all put our pants on the same way every day. Shift out of expectations and what Hollywood and porn have created and create your own. Create how you want it to be instead of listening to all the expectations. Number four. To reignite your sexual desire. Desire isn't magical. It's in your head. How can we use our brains to start igniting desire for us? So it's a thought process. It's not just some magical things that some magical thing that happens. Number five, how to connect to yourself. Liz says exercise is good because it reminds you of what's going on. Liz says exercise is good because it reminds you of what's going on in your body. Or take a luxurious bath. Slow down. Look at yourself naked in the mirror and say something positive about yourself. Even if you only have something positive to say about your hands or your feet, start there. Start commenting about them. Liz even said 
like if you just love your hands and your feet, fine, take care of those. Go get pedicures, go get manicures. Take care of the things that you love about yourself and start to recognize those. All right, I will see you on Thursday and you will hear three reasons why Liz Dubay is so badass. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, OrdinaryToBadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future Spotlight episode of the show. That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.